Welcome, everybody, to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things screen-free. My name is John Allen Turner, and seated right across from me is Hal Edward Runkle. Hal, how are you? Yo, I'm doing very, very well. You're doing very well. We are uh, two guys who are learning how to calm down and grow up. And last time, mm-hmm. we kind of made a little joke. Mm. that Because uh, the, uh, the subtitle of the parenting, or the, the marriage book, is what? Calm down, grow up, get closer. Calm down, calm down grow up get closer. And you made this joke that we're calming down and growing up, but we're not necessarily getting closer to one another. But I think we actually are. Mm. See, um, a lot of people may not know this, but you and I have known each other for a long time. Yeah, about 10, 11 years. 11, yeah, something like that. In fact, when our families were at dinner the other night, mm-hmm. uh, my nine-year-old, you hadn't seen her. Since she was a baby. Yeah. Yeah, and, so and but we're not that close. <laughs> well, you and I have seen each other. We just haven't gotten all the families together in, in a while. But I was, we were remembering that uh, uh, right when she was born, you and Jenny, your family was like the first family to come visit us in the hospital. Really? Yeah. Wow. I- don't remember. You don't that. remember that at all. I must have been plastered. You must. Have. I get drunk when well, I go visit babies in the hospital. Well, that's great because yeah. I remember you holding her, and now I'm wishing that hadn't yeah, happened. Exactly. But, uh, but you and I worked together a lot back then, right? Yes. And, uh, and helped start Scream Free. Helped uh, get the book off the ground, the first book, the parenting book, in many ways. And then we decided not to do that anymore. And then you went and worked at different states, and right, I did other things here, but. And this is what I was going to... And I can't speak for you. I can only speak for me in this. Um, I think one of the reasons why uh, I felt like I couldn't continue working with you as much as I had is because I hadn't grown up. Hmm. Because I was starting a new career, you know. I was My career as an author was just sort of taking off. I'd been right. a ghostwriter for a while, and I was I wanted to write my own books. And, right. and, uh, and I felt like if I continued to work for you or with you, mm-hmm. that I was going to end up working for you and, mm-hmm. and that I was going to constantly be in your shadow. And, right. I, and, and, uh, and hopefully now, I think, ten years later, I've calmed down. Mm-hmm. And that anxiety that, you know, am I going to be a success in my own right, right. has, I think I've, I've gotten... Uh, a little bit of a handle on that. And, cool. and, and enough so that I think you and I can... Well, obviously, yeah. I, I don't think we would have agreed to work together again if that were if those issues were still present. But those issues are two-sided. Because when we're both starting out, I want to cast a shadow because of my <laughs> uh, insecure <laughs> ego. Sure. Right? That uh, wants to keep people below me and feels threatened. Hopefully, I'm going beyond that. So we are, I think, but this is one of the things, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. One of the things I I value so much about serving as a fellow at the Screen Free Institute is Mm -hmm. because I think the principles that we're talking about don't just apply to one arena of life. All relationships. They apply to all your relationships. So it's it's not as if you can, you know, well, I'm not a parent, so why should I read Screen Free Parenting? Right. I think there are principles. In fact, I've done workshops where you unpack some of these principles and the guys running the sound in the back, yeah. you know, will come up to me at a break and say, you know what, I don't have kids yet, but I'm seeing how this could apply to my marriage or with my right. girlfriend or with my parents or whatever. Those are just some, the, over the years, over the last 10 years or so, those are some of the greatest compliments that we've received. And we love those. And I, we hear that a lot. And then get offered to I go to speak to companies about work relationships, even though I've not written that book, even though I've never worked in a cubicle in my life. But these principles apply. And, and it, what the cool thing is, is now other people are making the applications before we are. 
they're seeing. They're taking the yeah. principles and applying it in other arenas in their lives, like taking care of elderly parents. Well, we've never published anything about that, but but seeing them, and so it's almost like this crowdsourcing thing, right, where other people are taking these principles and saying, oh, they're more universal than even you believe, <laughs> which is kind of cool. That's great. Right? But this is one of the reasons why we avoid tips and techniques and here's sure. how you manage your three-year-old. Right. Because it's not about managing your three-year-old. It's about managing yourself. As you try to relate with your three-year-old. And it, self-management principles are applicable. You know, here's how you manage yourself with your kids. Here's how you manage yourself with your spouse. Here's how you manage yourself at the workplace. Here's how you, you know. Uh, so so these, these principles, and that, that's one of the things that resonates so deeply with me about screen-free stuff is that we work hard on coming up with transferable principles, right. not practices, not tips and techniques. Exactly, even though that's what people constantly ask for, because right. I think they've been trained by people in my profession, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, that you know, what you need are better management techniques in order to get what you want. And you see these books, getting the thing you really How to get, get what you want. How to get people to do what you want them to do or right. whatever. And, and trying to pretend that that's not inherently manipulative. <laughs> how can it be anything other than that right. right and and principles are true and can be applied throughout a multitude of arenas right because the principles are true and they are not based on getting a particular result because principles aren't concerned with results principles are concerned with process hmm. and they're not concerned with results because one of the most endearing life principles I think that has been handed down from generation to generation throughout a variety of religions and philosophies is that ultimately results aren't up to us. Yeah, that we can't control the final outcome. And that's what we want. We want to reduce uh, parenting or marriage or job. We want to reduce it all to a math equation. How do I get my kids back? If you do X when they do Y, then you will always get Z. And that will be true if it's a computer. Which it never is. And that's when we get frustrated. Why aren't you responding the way I want you to respond? I've put in the correct input, right. and I feel like you just ate my quarter. Yeah. And one of the most freeing things is, on the flip side of that, is that if you do so well on all of your responsibilities to your kids as a parent, I always ask audiences, can your kids still make horrific life decisions? Oh, yeah, well, of Absolutely. course. Absolutely, yeah. because they have a mind of their own, and there's nothing you can do to, to eliminate that. But does that mean it's your fault if they make those decisions? No. no. Not at all. At a certain stage in the age of development, they're going to make their own decisions, and, and, and I, have, I have very little control over those decisions. Hopefully what I want is I want influence. And what's paradoxical about that is the greater influence always comes the less you try to control. Yeah, yeah. Right. The more you try to control, the less influence you actually have. So one of the ways we try and tease that out in parenting material, and it's ultimately leadership materials, we have zero control over the choices our children make. We have some control over the choices our children have. Right. And our job is to make very, very clear with calm what those choices are, the ones that are available to them. But... They make the choice. If we had control over making the choice, then they wouldn't be making the choice. We'd be making it for them. Mm -hmm. 
And again, what I want is long-term influence. And the more I try to exercise control, I end up losing my influence. And we see that in every relationship. We see that certainly in marriage. Yeah. You try to control your spouse, and you are doing amazing things to push them away and create even more of the insecurity that was driving the need to control them in the first place. But there is this idea, I think, it, and, and maybe it's gone away some, but I know it was floating around the ethos when you and I were getting married, that, you know, a man needs a woman to sort of be his conscience for him. He needs a woman, yes. To be a civilizing force in his life, to to, to show him where the boundaries of civilized and living... To be, and to be the social are. boss for them as well. Sure. He's, she's the boss in charge of the social calendar. Yeah. Right? Sacrificing control. And then, of course, complaining to his buddies that his wife's so controlling. Yeah. But, I mean, and that's, that's that was what passed for marriage in the, you know, in 60s and 70s, right? Absolutely. That's... It's still, there's still some of those social constructs that are still permeating and people are trying to live according to and it's not making any sense. Now, why do you suppose that is? Like, why can't we rise up and set, and assert ourselves and say no? Because such huge societal change like that takes a long time. It takes sure. a long time to change. It is bigger than the trying to you know, steer the Titanic. Yeah, so making that U-turn. It's very, very difficult. I mean, in fact, like next week, uh, I think I'm on two different... Um, ask Men panels for today's show. Okay. Have you done that before? Yes, I've done a couple of those before. And it's all this this new thing is about how men are now experiencing the same pangs of guilt that women have been experiencing for a long time when they entered the workforce. So we need a male version of Sex in the City. Yeah, it's kind of, how do I feel? <laughs> Except add kids, because right, 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 daddy right. guilt is the thing that's been sure. the theme. Yeah. Right? Daddy, daddy now wants to spend more time with his kids, right? More, certainly more than his dad. He's been told he's supposed to, right. and he's bought into that, but the reality is the workplace or social sure. forces prevent him from doing that, and he experiences... Well, there was guilt. an article in the, in the Wall Street Journal uh, yesterday about how men are offered now, through working for big corporations, they are offered paternity leave. Right, right, right. I saw that, yes. And they're not taking it. Right. And the reason, that's one of the things we're going to talk about, that was one of the questions that they had already talked to me about answering next week. And part of the deal is, and this this article did a great job, is to talk about how they're afraid of losing face at work, losing ground at work. Okay. If I'm away, even if I'm legitimately away, are they going to call me kind of less than a man? Are they going to... Or am I going to get bypassed for some great? That's I think that's a, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. Are there, is there going to be some new gig that comes in, some new project, and I'm not? I normally would be the project manager on that thing, or IBS, and it'd be my time, and I'll miss out, and then will I resent my kid and all? And you know, the the, the course the men are just coming late to the party because women have been struggling for, <laughs> struggling, for yeah, a sure. long time. But these are the ramifications of what I believe to be one of the greatest socio cultural shifts in human history which began in the 50s and 60s in the United States. Which was, the catalyst was what? Well, it was feminist movement for one, civil rights movement, another. It was just... Women in the workplace. Yes. You know, and, and so, Beyond yeah. being secretaries, teachers, or nurses. Right. right. They began to be appreciated for their contribution in so many different arenas in life. Thank God. And see, I know you're not a big madman no, I can't stand it. Right. But one of the things that I think that show has navigated very well is showing 
what that the the the, the rise of women in the workplace right. in, in the workforce how that has affect how that affected men of the time. Sure, and they're, and they're showing it very very realistically. But in except order, I don't know how anybody could drink that much and, and not, be productive. That's Holy what's so cow! Frustrating yeah. to me. That's the unrealistic part, <laughs> of it. and the fact that everyone is is wearing clothes that none of them could, or very few of them could actually afford uh, yeah, at the yeah. time. And that's that's annoying. To me. Wardrobe's so, fantastic. And it is, and that's my problem with it, is they are attempting to show the reality of the struggle women had, but they are also attempting to show the glory of certain aspects of those times. And I think you are, in some aspect, glorifying the horrible treatment of women. But misogynistic, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's awful. They treat them so badly. I mean, in reality, I think... The but movie... I don't know that it's glorified. And I've I've invested in the show, sure. so I you know I've watched every episode, so I, I can say, I, I think they show the negative implications of it. They they really do. Okay, but I it's I can't watch it the same reason I couldn't watch the uh, Sopranos. What? I just what? why couldn't you watch the Sopranos? Because you're still you're still at some point glorifying the worst aspects of these people. You're trying to show. Right, which I, I think here's the deal. I can handle that for a movie, but I you can can't, handle it, for I can't handle it for an episodic five thing. season ring. I just can't do it. Right, it's it's why I had to stop watching Breaking Bad, which I absolutely love that first season. But yeah, like, that first season was great. I can handle. All right, okay, I've, I've done enough. I've handled enough. I can watch. You watch Arrested Development. Yes, because that's a comedy. <laughs> We're talking about glorifying like that, but it's making fun of it. Sure, the whole sure. time. See and. Uh, this is a, well, so it stands sound. outside and points at itself and looks at the audience but, saying, can you believe how ridiculous this is? But we've talked about this on a previous podcast. It's so much easier to help people look at themselves if you're helping them laugh at themselves. Mad okay. Men is asking us to cringe at ourselves. But I think Mad Men also points out that, to some extent, we, we're in a crisis of masculinity. We are. In our society. I, I we don't know what a man looks like. Is supposed to look like, act like, be like. Because we knew it was John Wayne and the Marlboro Man. Sure. Then? Well, then it was Alan Alda. It was Alan Alda. Absolutely. It was the sensitive man. It was the sweater vest. Yeah. Right? And the, then, the rise of the therapist. Right? So, so Alan Alda leads to Bill Cosby in the Cosby show or whatever, right. you know. So Which then eventually leads to Homer Simpson <laughs> and the buffoonery dad, which has sure, ruled. which is yeah, that's every Disney show, every Nickelodeon show. You don't have a show that shows a great dad. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Modern Family is still he's still a buffoon. Sure. Well, but, which one? Uh, three dads. But the central or four dads, I guess. Phil is yeah. the central dad in the character. Well, you got the patriarch. Nice. But yeah, but yeah. The central Jay. of the story. Yeah, he's a buffoon. That. Yes, and he's a buffoon. But he loves his kids. But he's still having some sort to his of family. influence, yeah. right? But it all, I mean, I've said this before, but it, it all comes back to the Berenstein Bears, man. I mean, these <laughs> children's literature that we're reading, the Berenstein Bears, and every book is selling. Have you read any of those things? The guy is a total book. Yeah, yeah, dad is always and, a moron. And, be, and because of that, mom is always this horrible hag. Yeah, just a nag, no, just a no, relentless and dripping faucet. Yeah. Yes, and there's one where she's trying to get the kids to watch less TV, and of course... The dad is saying, yeah, and then the next time she goes in the living room, the dad is watching the TV for hours and hours with the kids, and I bet you're supposed to set an example and all that. And so it, it started there, 
and again, that we can have a whole discussion on does art reflect reality or does art shape reality? But yes, yeah, the answer. Is the yes. answer is yes. But uh, we're still with that. We're struggling to your point with what it looks like to be a man. And so my friend Eric Metaxas writes this book where he kind of profiles these seven men throughout history, and it's archetype. Yeah, it's uh, you know Jackie Robinson is one. Okay, and so exa- for example, a few weeks back. The horrible tragedy happens in, at the Boston Marathon. Right. Uh, David Ortiz, who plays for the Boston Red Sox, gets up, hand the microphone in his hand, and, at the, and curses. You right. know, drops an f bomb in the middle of it. And my friend Eric sends me a text, and he says, "Could you ever, in a million years, imagine Jackie Robinson right. saying something like that, or Jack Nicklaus?" Or Jack Nicholas, yeah. Garrett. Seriously. Right. Uh, he goes on, you know, in his book, I think he profiles uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and um, uh, William Wilberforce, mm-hmm. who kind of, you know, was the first person to systematically go after slavery, slavery in, in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Grace, uh, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, That's exactly. A fantastic movie. And Eric wrote the study guide for that. And so Eric's always got this fascination with these historical characters, but he says, you know, these were men. Right. And we don't. We don't have... Who do we have now who comes close to personifying something like that? It's a great question that gets asked in a lot of different ways. And the difficulty is we so value, and I I think we should, we so value diversification now that people hesitate to name any example that's supposed to shine above all others. Sure, because someone's going to tear them down. We talked about that, you know, with the whole Tim Tebow Tim thing. Tebow. We, we like to pedestalize yes. and then throw rocks at them. Right. We do that all the time. And so anytime you're so if Jackie Robinson like, or William Wilberforce or Dietrich Bonhoeffer live today... It's easy to throw out examples from the past because since we don't share that context, we can marvel at what they did within their context. But trying to find out that somebody now is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Incredibly difficult. So what do we do? So I read this study that came out today. It was a a poll. Yeah. They they interviewed all these women. Right. And they interview these women and they say, um, what are the, like, the benchmarks for uh, a mature man? So how do you know a boy has become a man? Yeah, how do you know? And one of the things was they, they don't find passing gas funny. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> which means there are no men on the planet. <laughs> that and was one. Always going to be fun. You know, they they don't get competitive with kids yeah. when they play games. Right. Um, they they uh, they don't feel the need to race the car next to them. Or I mean, there, there were all these different five or six of these things. And uh, and then they went after they compiled that list. They went and they asked these women. So, at what age do men stop doing these? Mm. Immature behaviors. Mm-hmm. You want to you want to take a stab at this? When do, when is a man mature? I would guess they would say in their thirty. Okay. The actual answer: mm-hmm. forty three. Wow. So that's why I'm able to work with you now is because it's I'm forty three yeah. and I'm mature. Well, hopefully now. I'll I'll get there in a year. Short time to stop racing cars between now and then. But is that what maturity is? Mm-hmm. And when is a man mature? I remember that I think I told you that I get together with my college roommates 
once a year. I right, right, right. Huge house at the University of Texas with twelve other guys, and, and we have. Do you guys go camping, or you do? We go you're to out. a lake. Yeah, we're not that rustic. We go to <laughs> a gorgeous lake house that belongs to one of the one of the guys on Lake Travis in, in Austin, Texas, and we get together, and it is such a wonderful gathering of men. With yeah, we've all got kids, we're all married, we're all in different scenes of life. But I remember that first couple when we were in our it was early thirties, and one of the topics of conversation was, "Do you feel like a man yet?" None of us did. I remember waking up on my 25th birthday mm. and and feeling like a man. Really? I don't know what happened 25. on my 25th, but I think this is one of those things where what's the what's the expression you were, you, you said at lunch today? Oh, that, uh, I saw this great quote. It's, it's an old quote, but a, a boy becomes a man three years before his parents think so. But about two years after, he thinks so. Right. So I was so twenty-seven. Yeah. I thought it was twenty-five. It turns out it was twenty-seven. Uh, when you actually did. Yeah. But what told you? I, I don't know. I felt you different. weren't married then, were you? I was. Oh, you were. Yeah, married. yeah, yeah. But see, I mean, that's interesting because I got married earlier than you did. I had kids earlier than you did. Yeah. I still didn't. I mean, I. Part of it though is that, and I've worked on my. Frankly, I've worked on this with my therapist, my various therapists over the years. <laughs> He's got a string I've of broken got a therapists. String, absolutely. I absolutely credit to whatever success I had in life. But I uh, remember just that I didn't get a lot of man training mm. growing up. Yeah. In fact, I got a lot of bad man training mm. or in the absence of what should have been good man training. And that's all. But that changes decade to decade, generation to generation. But I, I mean, I got nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nothing. Right. And, and so I found myself fumbling through life. I, I find myself fumbling towards man is mm. the way I described it. And that's a book title right there. That is a good book yeah. title. That, that'd be a memoir. Copyright that, screen I, free 2013. I, well, no, it's got to be in two years after I become 43. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, who says I can't write it? Right now. I, I'm not qualified to write it right now. But fumbling towards manhood because I had to discover so much on my own. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was through horrible trial and error. Not, I knew nothing about money, nothing about investing, nothing about parenting. A lot of us sense. discover this stuff through trial and error, and we think we're the yeah. only ones. Right. We think we, somehow or other we missed the meeting, and everybody else found this out at some secret scout meeting or something like that. They trained them on how to do all this stuff, but we're just making it up as we go along. We do. We do, and everybody at some level does that. But each of you, each you and I have known people who had fantastic fathers Yeah. who were talking to their kids in a way that was respectful of them, but also in a way that clued them in as to what is going on, kind of, behind, the man behind the curtain right. in life. Right. Um, uh, uh, we, you and I share a, a minister friend whose father had just such wisdom and would impart that wisdom mm -hmm. throughout and such an incredible man of integrity. I know several people like this, and these are yeah. not, not coincidentally, these are mentors of mine, yeah. the sons of these great fathers. And it is possible it, it, you're still going to have to discover stuff through trial and error. Right. Right? But I want my kids... Because you don't really own it until you've absolutely. gone through the trial and error. But this is something we talk about in Screen Free Parenting. I want my kids to go through that trial and error now. While they're under my roof. Exactly. Is it a bit of a safe environment. When I've got some more influence than I do. Was it Garrison Keillor in a, a, a recent uh, address to graduates? I can't remember what he was talking mm -hmm. But he said... Um, Make your mistakes 
young. Early. Make your mistakes early because the longer you wait to make those mistakes, the more costly they become. And that's a principle we talk about in Screen for Parenting where, you know, I want my kids to make a frivolous purchase with $40. Yeah. Learn the pain of Before $4,000. I want them that. And it comes from that, uh, I think I quote that dancer, uh, Tallulah Bankhead. Um, She, on her deathbed, said, if I had to live my whole life over again, I'd make all the same mistakes, just a whole just lot younger. sooner. Yeah, sooner, right? And so I want my kids to make those mistakes, and that's one of the hallmarks, I think, of a good parent, is I'm not afraid of you making mistakes now, because I'm so terrified of you making horrific mistakes later. I want you to make them, so I'm going to give you opportunities to do that. Even if it means a skinned knee, or even a burned yeah, hand yeah, on yeah. the fire, right? I, I want you to do that now, because now we have some more structure. When in your 20s, you have so much less structure sure. in so many ways, yeah. right? And I don't want my kids totally fumbling through everything. But I also, I want them to get this idea. Get in trouble now before you have a credit card. Right. Because if you wait until you have a credit card and then you get into trouble, that will haunt you for a lot longer. This week. Yeah. We are, it's, it's interesting. My daughter turned 15. A year and a half ago. Right. And we told her, your birthday present is $300 into a debit card debit card account. Okay. Provided that you watch these videos with us and have discussions like with Dave us. Like Dave Ramsey videos yes, or something like that. money yeah. management. Yeah. And? She's 16 and a half now. Yes. What we told her, because she never did it. Even though there was the incentive to get $300, she never did it. I'll pay you $300 to watch these videos. That's what you said. Yeah. And she wouldn't do it until then she turned 16 and wanted her driver's license. We said, well... Let's talk about the $300. We don't want you driving by yourself without a debit card with some money. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all tied together. Whatever. So, you want your license? You got to watch the video. So and now there's double incentive. Yeah. Your license. So we She's have not, 16 and a half yes, now. We have not watched them all. But okay. We have watched most of them. started watching them. And okay. she did get her license, but she still doesn't have the debit card because she hasn't watched them. So we budged a little, right? Your Compromised a little bit. Principled yeah. screen-free leader here. Yeah. It came down to, man, I would love it if she could go pick up her son, our son from Yeah, or go run to the store because yeah, I forgot yeah, to get uh, eggs or something like yeah, that. How about you go get your So... This week, we're going, because we have completed it. Oh, you okay. You will complete all the videos, and she, she will get the... They've always had a savings account that yeah. we have direct yeah. access to, right? But now she's getting her own debit card, debit card account. And we want her to run out of money. Sure. Be at the gas pump and call us. I'll come what get do you. What do I do? Yeah. I will come get you. I want you to do that because there's no damage done. Right, Everybody. because you're not in Tucumcari, New Mexico. <laughs> You know, you haven't run out of gas there. And it's not, you're not a credit card debt of $5,000 as a 19-year-old because you have no idea the concepts. Right. Right. Our job is to, I believe, anticipate what's coming and clue our kids into it and introduce our kids to it before it comes, which is so in contrast to what our anxiety says. Right. We want to almost, we want to, and this is the phrase we use around here a lot, we don't want to protect their kids from the world, we want to prepare them for it, the world, and so we we almost want to inoculate them against those big, big pitfalls, those big diseases that exist out there, crippling debt and 
uh, those horrible relationships, incarcerration, right. and that, that kind of stuff. And the, our anxiety says just the opposite. Our anxiety yeah. says protect them as long as it, as long as we can. And you even have some experts out there who promote keep your kids innocent as long as possible. So don't let them be exposed to anything. Right. And I could not disagree more. Agreed. Now. Uh, on the other hand, and you've mentioned this before, there's a little bit of regret over exposing your kids to, you know, your your son when he's eight or nine and you're showing him, you know, Saving Private Ryan or something little, like that. It was a little too early. Yeah, so... It wasn't as early as my father taking me to see Jaws in the theater when I was four. Oh my gosh, I remember seeing that. I saw it in a drive-in theater in San Diego when I was six. And that... Yeah, that'll put the fear of... Oh, my yeah. dad jokes about it. No, remember when I was the of three, and you guys oh, were climbing yeah. all over me. And of course we were. Like we're I was four. Yeah. I spent thousands of dollars in therapy yeah, because of that. Dad. I was freaking four. So, so, so there, there are limits that. to that, right? I, no, you, I, do I have a ton of regret about it? No, not really. Not a ton, but a little bit. So, you know, so there's. I'm going to make mistakes, sense. but I'm always going to err. It's not overexposing them to it. You know, it's almost like that. You know, the old thing where parents. You know, soon we found out our kid was drinking, so we sat him down and we made him drink yeah. a gallon of vodka. Yeah, right. and See how that feels. Now he's an alcoholic, right. you know, or whatever. You know, I made him smoke an entire pack. Yeah. And then we started doing heroin together. You know, right. there are limits. You use common sense on that kind of stuff. But, again, you want to uh, prepare them for what they're going to experience in the world. My daughter, when she was two, announced to her, her uh, preschool class that I have an announcement to make. Boys have penises and girls have vaginas. Wow. She was two. Wow. I'm surprised she could even Pardon. put the, uh, was, sentences together, smart, string sentences together. Like that. So wow. Like, yeah. She was close to three. Okay. The, and of course, the daycare was like, oh. And then it's like, oh, you're the therapist kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah that's it. Incredible that. language. That's right, right, yeah. We were doing that early on. Sure. And we we did the same thing. We took that approach. We, we wanted our kids to get the right information. And we knew we could give them the right information. We didn't want them to get all those terrible stories that you're going to hear on the playground about how babies get made and right. all that kind of stuff. We wanted our kids to know clinical terms. We wanted them to know uh, the process, of, you know, what the plumbing is right. and all that kind of stuff. Now, again, it was part of an ongoing conversation that we probably started with them. I don't know if we started at two, but, you know, three, four, sure. we started sure. that conversation. So we didn't have to sit them down and have one definitive End all, be all. It's like the, there's an episode of Malcolm in the Middle where uh, the mom puts Malcolm in the car, like mm. tricks him into getting in the car, and he gets in and all the car doors lock, and he knows it's time for the talk, and she just drives in circles around mm. the town, and by the and she tells him everything she can think to tell him. I mean, it is the gospel of sex and sexuality, everything from A to Z, and by the end, he's just in a fetal position. <laughs> Can we please go home? Can we please go home? We didn't want to have that kind of a no. de-talk. Never. So, so we, we, we included that stuff as part of an ongoing conversation. And that's a good point to make. When we talk about, you know, quote-unquote, overexposing our kids as, as a good thing, it's not all at once. Mm. And it's not coming out of the norm of the rest of our life. We wanted it to be a part of our life. I took my cue from the Hebrew Shema. Right, right, yeah. I'm not 
Jewish, but this great idea that but there's a rhythm to talk this stuff. to your kids while you're walking along the path. Tell your kids about it when you're going to the store. I mean, okay, yeah, so it's, so it's when you. There were four times that they mentioned in the Shema that when you get up in the morning, yep. when you lie down at night, when you walk along the road, which we don't do anymore. We drive in minivans, sure. like God intended, mm-hmm. and when you sit at the table. Yeah, you know, so those kind of those dinner table conversations, but also. Uh, first thing in the morning when your kids are waking up to have some conversation with them. And late at night, we yeah. have found bedtime. Oh, kids, it, talk, kids are talk, really talk. open, you know. And so I have a series of questions that I ask my kids. You know, did anything make you laugh today? Mm-hmm. Did anything make you sad or angry or mm-hmm. afraid? Mm-hmm. And and they're they're more willing to share those things when we're kind of winding down at the end of the day than they would be sure. at any other time. Sure. And those are great, you know, during the school, what I call the school-age kids, the, yeah. the 5 to 12. Those yeah. are fantastic things, you know. I love dropping little bombs of wisdom all the time. <laughs> Just little things. You know what? And I remember starting this early. You know what? You're going to see some of your friends do what that guy's doing right now. Mm. And it's going to be weird for you. Yeah. What is he doing? What do you think he's doing? I mean, yeah, talking down yeah. to his girlfriend. Yeah. Right? And so instead of just making a big deal, you know what? You're going to see some of your friends do that. It's going to be awkward. And that was it. Yeah. I don't want to paint. paint no, you don't have to. So here's what you're going to do, and no. here are your action no. items. And not, yeah, you just it highlight it. Just to kind of, it's it's right there in front of you. Let's acknowledge it. Yeah. And uh, and also about the cussing thing. Your friends, cousin's going to surprise you. Who really, really gets into it? Yeah. Gets angry about life. And, and that's what I tell I tell my kids when it comes to profanity. I say, uh, profanity general rule. Profanity comes out when your level of emotion exceeds your vocabulary. Right. Uh, my dad taught me that years and years ago. And for a long time, I thought That's a good way to put it. My, my level of emotion should never exceed my vocabulary, so I, I will not curse. Mm-hmm. You know? and, or I would get disappointed in myself when I did because I would think, what's wrong with my intellect or have I allowed my emotions to exceed a, a fair boundary? Uh, as I've gotten older, I've relaxed a little bit on that. And there are times... When it is appropriate, where the only thing what? that is appropriate, you know, because my level of emotion should spike at certain at times. Certain time. Well, and also I think that sometimes cuss words have this amazing direct route to our emotional selves. Sure. That other vocabulary can't get to. Yeah. And so I do it with my clients all the time. Yeah. yeah in therapy. And yeah. Just and I'm not. I've had a couple. Of, I've had a therapist that was like I, but. My problem is I can always see like what they're doing. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah I have a hard time just sort of relaxing into that. Well, they know that I <laughs> cuss. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I've told my kids, uh, look, I, you, you know, sometimes cuss is like a sailor. Like a sailor. But I usually, usually say your mom. Yeah, your mom. Good. Yeah, that's good. Your mom. Watch. Well, she's got foul on. <laughs> hey, something I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, it's summertime, and so I imagine there are a fair number of folks who are out there who are kind of dealing with this issue. Yeah. You're, we're, you're gearing up, like your brain is is in full-on launch mm-hmm. mode because, well, for two reasons, I think. One, because you've got a 16-year-old yeah. who is launching in a couple of years. Yeah. And so also that is providing some impetus for you to put pen to paper yep. and get some of this stuff down. So the new book is going to be, do we have a title yet? Is no, it? We, we don't have a title. title. But there is a new book. It's and how it's working launching. on about launching. It's about launching. Anyone so, have a title, please? Yeah, please Al call it. At ScreenFree.com. Yeah. So, so I have a, a very good friend, and he, he's struggling with this issue. He's got a son who just graduated high school. Okay. 
couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Highly responsible kid, right? And he's going away. He's moving out of the house, going away Second to college. Yes, yeah, yeah, the middle of August. So he's got this summertime twilight zone that they're in. And the son has recently suggested that he should not have a curfew. Because I'm not going to have a curfew in August. I'm 18. I'm a legal adult. I graduated high school. I am a responsible person. I don't think... And he, he has said, sometimes I'm hanging out with my friends and I have to leave before everybody else. Mm. Because I have, I'm the only one who has a curfew. Driven by FOMO. Yes, fear, fear of, of missing, missing out. Yeah, I'm the only one. Right. So, so, uh, so the dad comes to me. He's like, uh, he's been very responsible, mm-hmm. right? So, on the one hand, he's kind of earned that, sure. but on the other hand, he's still living in our house, and I have a job. I have to get up in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and I have a hard time really feeling at peace, really feeling restful. When my son is out there, he's not home yet, so some of this is my anxiety, but some of this I want him to be sensitive to the fact that he does live with other people. True. When he gets married, will he have a curfew? Right. No, but somebody will be wondering where he is. Will he have a responsibility to the other person? Exactly. Yes. I think your friend is doing some good thinking. Yeah. I hope he has not immediately reacted and say he did, he and they got in a big knockdown drag out, and then and then they stopped talking for a couple of and he ground tried to ground his eighteen year old son, you know, and and he came to me later. He was like, I shouldn't have done that. I looked like a moron. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. It's always fascinating. I'm toying with that term because we're launching our kids and grounding and them at the same time. Grounding them at the same time, <laughs> and we're wondering why that's not working. Yeah, why that's not working, and why they're yelling at us, and we're pointing out our ridiculous inconsistencies with what they're doing, but. Uh, the the launching process is just that. It is a process. It doesn't happen all at once. In fact, people who try to delay it, delay it, delay it, and then you're 18, boom, you're on your own. It's disaster. Oh, we all went to college with that person. It's disastrous. Exactly. They didn't last a semester. It was brutal, right? It's disastrous. So here's the thing that immediately comes to my mind is... You've still got him under your roof. You've still got a couple of months. Think of it like, you know what? My kid still has, he's about to get his driver's license. Middle of August, he's going to get his driver's license. Whether I want him to or not. He's going to get his driver's license. He doesn't even need my permission to get his driver's license. But before then, now he's only got a learner's permit. Now he's wanting to act as if he's got a license. He's only got a learner's permit. Right? Mm-hmm. Which means I've got to ride with him. With him, yeah. Now here's where the metaphor breaks down. <laughs> with him out there. Right. right. But you are still living with him. And the thing about it is, when my daughter had her learner's permit, I thought, what is going to best quiet my anxiety the day she gets her license and drives off the driveway without me in it? You mean besides a big bottle of brown liquor? Yes. <laughs> or, or, or clear liquor. Whatever you like, maybe. Right? Whatever helps you get through the night. What is going to best calm my anxiety? Confidence. Yeah. And what is going to get us both confident? Time in the car. Yeah. Practice. And going further. 
yeah. and longer and further and longer as we do that. Right. So I remember you and I. I think I think we may have gone to see a movie uh, one night, and your daughter was having to drive like up to Lawrenceville or something like. It was a, she had to go on the freeway. Yeah, yeah. I remember she you did. were a little bit anxious about that. Yeah. But what calmed my anxiety was the confidence of the training. And what I, I, I would hope, if she were to take that same trip now, yeah. you would experience less anxiety tonight than you did a couple months ago because she's done it. And done it. And done it. And I just, confidence is the best way to get rid of anxiety or, or to... to, to Squelch. Squelch? Quiet? What word? What verb? <laughs> Making up your own words yes. again. To quell? Is that the word? I'm quell is a word? Quell the yeah. anxiety? Calm. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the confidence. And so, how does that apply to this guy's situation? You cannot think of launching as a passive letting go. Okay. Bye-bye. Right, right, right. Launch right. Is, a, is an active it's an verb. Active, but it involves separation. Mm-hmm. Separation is an active thing that you're doing. Think about the launch pad and the rocket is sitting on the launch pad. Well, in order to take off, it has to separate from the holding arm. Mm-hmm. It's a great metaphor for us. There is a separation, but that doesn't mean you're now passive. No. I still have to be a strong structure because you, this kid's about to go through this incredible launching anxiety, right? This force, and I've got to stay there. I've got to stand there, be there. So, go with that momentum. He wants to not have a curfew, right? All right, tonight you know. You haven't made some See kind of happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have not made. You haven't said forever. Yeah, you have not. Yeah, about the next two months. Okay, fine, whatever. I just give in, because if you feel like you're caving in and losing, right, then that creates a bad, bad relationship right, 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 right. between you and your kid. But if it's just, all right, tonight you know. What are you gonna do? How are you gonna stay? See, that's what I suggested. I suggested yeah. uh, let him set his curfew, right. and then hold him to it. But just don't call, I would say, don't call it a curfew. Yeah, just tell me what time, when what time are you going to be home tonight? Can I expect? Yeah. You pick the time. And I don't care. If you, if you want to say 2 o'clock, if you want to say... Exactly. I'm not going to be home until tomorrow, or whatever. I just... Let's see how you You tell me. It. Yeah. Because the curfew is an external structure that is provided for you. Mm-hmm. Scaffolding. Exactly. I, I don't know if I've used this metaphor with you, but I'm using it in the launching book. But you remember when I had major back surgery. Right, right, right. right? And I had to wear this turtle shell back brace around me for five months. You were so sexy in that oh, thing. Oh, man. It, 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 it was contoured to my belly, you know? I had like, my precise gut carved out. It was, I think it cost like $2,000. They had to come and mold it and whatever. I had to wear this thing for five months, Ugh. right? It was incredibly yeah. uncomfortable, but I had to wear it because my exactly. internal structure was, was not, not strong, strong enough. enough. So I had to have an external struggle, uh, structure until I got my strong enough vertebrae. Right. That's what we help provide our kids, is an external st- uh, structure while they develop from the inside out. Well, what this guy is saying is, you know what? I think I can take the back brace off. All right, well, let's take it off tonight. And that's the way I did it. I took it off. So let's see, see how, how that my feels. doctor said. Yeah, see how it goes. Yeah, right? but what's great is next, day, the, but the day after, you can put it back on. Yeah, where? But so, but you know, and, and this is a curfew, but it, there is a responsibility that you have to us, you know, because you live with us. I, I think to some extent, I, and we're we're kind of talking around this, but this is the reality. The curfew isn't really the issue. The issue is not the issue. No. The issue is rarely the issue. 
the issue with teenagers is always whose life is this? Yeah. Always that issue. And for a while, it, you you can't take full ownership of this yet because I don't trust you to. Why would I trust you to? You're 13. Your brain's not done cooking. Right. And that's what I say to my daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can prove me wrong, I want you to prove me wrong. And what I told him is, uh, this is a good opportunity for you to have a conversation about launching and what I hope for you. Sure. My hope for you is that you will leave this house middle of August and that you will come back for Thanksgiving, you will come back for a weekend here and there, mm-hmm. But you will never again right. live in this house on, per, uh, on a full-time basis. That's my desire for you, right. is that you will get out there and you will be so successful, you will thrive and you will fly, and this is going to be a, the, the beginning of a very exciting adventure for you. That's what I hope for you. Now, we have eight weeks. So, like, launch sequence has been compressed. Yes into these next eight weeks. So every single thing we do, you and I, Mm -hmm. for the next eight weeks, is going to be to set you up to succeed when you get out of here. Sure. Because when you get out of here, as much as, as badly as you want to get out of here, I want you to get out of here. And once you're out, I don't want you to come back. Because if you come back, you'll feel like a failure. It'll be awkward and weird and all that kind of stuff. So get out and be successful. What you, you and I are going to sit down now and we're going to think through what could we do for the next eight weeks right. that would set you up to succeed? Here's my one pushback on that. My daughter would have stopped listening about five sentences. Sure, sure. Right? I understand. Yes. And, and so at any time we try to in, engage our kids in a we program, then somehow it still feels like we are above them and liking it, mm. which I never want to communicate. Right. There's nothing wrong with being above them. No, it's a hierarchy. Right, Absolutely. right. No problem. But it's when we seem as if we take delight. Exactly. And in punctuate that. it, and we get some sort of validation from it. Yeah, some yeah. existential, this gives me a right to be. Yeah. You know, I don't want to communicate that. No. I want to communicate. How do I communicate all those things you were saying with a lot less words? <laughs> right? that's, that's what, what I do striving. for a living. I'm a talker. Exactly. But I'm striving to do it less with my kids because they will point it out. Yeah. Dad. I'm not your client, Dad. I'm not your audience. <laughs> my daughter did that to me last night. It was very, very clear. I got the message. Okay. And so you just you have these little bitty moments. I call them drive-by moments, right? These drive-by moments. They're not these teachable. Okay, sit down, like Malcolm in the Middle, right? Right, all right, all right. But it is. You know, he comes to me and says, "I don't think I have to have a curfew." All right. You don't have one tonight. So when are you going to be home? Now, do you feel? And this may be a topic for another conversation, but do you feel any compulsion to say, you know what, let me talk to your mom about that? Oh, yeah. So you Because you don't want, you know, now he's walking out the door and his mom says, what time are you going to be home? And he says, I don't have a curfew, Dad said. But like, here's something that my wife and I have kind of figured out. Like uh, with money, where we do not have to check with each other before any purchase. Like you don't have a dollar limit, $500 and up, you got to... Get you got to consult? No, we probably do, but it just never gets to that. Okay. Right? But And so we don't constantly check with each other. And there's sometimes about parenting and stuff as well. Yeah. And so we'll just say, hey, by the way, I did this. Yeah. And we I made a unilateral it. decision. And we can disagree about it and talk about it. Yeah. But this is what, because you don't have all those times. Uh, and we don't worship the agreement, God. Yeah, yeah. We have complete agreement at all the time. No, Present a united front. I hate 
that so much because we're not the allies against Germany. And that, you know, that, that's the real fear. problem with that is it, it makes it a, a, a parents against the kid. Yeah, and, I, and, that, and that never usually goes well. No. I, but we, I, I say, hey, experiment. What do you want to do here? Oh, you did that? Hmm. Huh. How'd it go? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How'd that one work? Huh. Right? I because would not have thought that would be it. Because, okay. again, yeah. we talk much more about overall principles. Yeah, exactly. kind of brings the brings all the way back to full circle. Close. We talk much more about principles together, not the application of those principles. Because is what we believe is the more you talk about the principles, then your application is going to be very, very successful. Mm. Because you're thinking of the principles in mind. Right. Okay, well, that's an interesting conversation we had. That didn't get around to everything. So maybe next week we're going to talk about this uh, seventh grader in Kentucky who's been offered a full scholarship to play football at the University of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And this is a growing trend that we're going to need to talk about. Uh, I think this will be an interesting... Well, it's like the, it's the Doogie Hauser thing. It's, it's the we love and cherish our precocious, amazing, gifted... Yeah, until he grows up and he can't run routes and the University of Kentucky rescinds that offer. Yeah. Or he chooses instead to go to Notre Dame or whatever. Or so. the worst thing, and I remember I did a Today Show on this one years and years ago on gifted students. And I was like, you know yeah. what? One aspect of the development is incredibly uh, accelerated. accelerated. Yeah. That doesn't mean the rest of them is. Yeah, so exactly. just because my kid has 14, size 14 feet doesn't put, mean I put him in a 44 jacket as well. <laughs> Okay, well, so that sets us up to talk about that next week. Thanks for listening to You Must Chill, the weekly podcast on all things screen-free. My name is John Allen Turner. I'm Hal Edward Runkle. And we'll see you next week.